AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. Hey, John, uh, I heard that there was an end of life issue for PHP. There is actually, and this is probably yeah. something people should kind of pay attention to or take note. Um, PHP is kind of a back, it's a backend programming language used in a lot of web environments and uh, notably WordPress, Joomla, right. uh, Drupal, all of those content management type systems. Uh, so the story here is that PHP has discontinued support for all versions prior to 7.0. So you really want to get up to version 7.2, which is the most recent one. Uh, so I think it's important for people to um, make sure they have some plan to upgrade uh, sometime within the next year or so, um, because it is end of life. So it's important, not necessarily in the immediate term, but I would say if you're running a web server or web servers that are using these older versions of PHP, you should start to formulate a plan for migrating off of them, uh, or you know, migrating to the most recent version of PHP, uh, because there's not going to be any support going forward. When I say that PHP is not going to be providing support going forward, the reality is in a lot of these uh, commercial Linux environments like Red Hat and CentOS and some of these ones, they'll still a lot of those have packages for PHP, mm -hmm. and they'll probably still be putting security releases in. Not new features, but if there's a security patch, they'll probably roll out versions to their people that they support. But even that, I would say, you probably want to make sure that you've got some migration plan to get your environments up to PHP 7.2, right. because that's not going to last forever either. Is it a difficult uh, migration from even, let's say, 5.0 to 7.2? So it can be, depending on how much of your own custom code you've written. Um, if, it's, if you're really running kind of off-the-shelf commercial code that runs on top of PHP, mm -hmm. like a WordPress or Joomla or Drupal or any of these other ones, it's probably less um, difficult to migrate, but you still might have some oddball plugins, right. uh, you know, a lot of these content management systems have third-party plugins and modules that you can add on. They might not be um, as well-maintained as the core base of these content management systems that you use. So you might have to go find if there's a new version or that might put a hiccup in your plan if you're really dependent on some of these third-party plugins right. for the different uh, types of content management systems out there. Sure. I think there was just recently a couple of uh, uh, vulnerabilities in Drupal as well, right? So if you're running Drupal and this older version of PHP, having to patch and update both of them can be really difficult. Yeah, but it probably gives you even more reason, reason to do Reason to, yeah, exactly. So with Drupal, there have been two uh, Drupal vulnerabilities just this year, I believe. And um, uh, that's like, if you haven't patched for that, you really should have by now. Right. Uh, because they uh, facilitate remote code execution type uh, um, of vulnerabilities in themselves. So it's probably good to get everything updated right. um, anyway. So this might give you yet another, another reason, reason to do it if you haven't already. Now, I got a quick question for you, John. With, uh, with the Drupal issues that, that we had this year, now we're end-of-life in uh, PHP 
Do you see that there's any, you know, issues with uh, having to do upgrades on both? Or, I mean, is it a concern that, you know, these, these people that, that use PHP at those levels need to get it up to 7.2 right away? You know, which, which one should go first, do you think? Drupal or Joomla, WordPress, or the uh, PHP end of life? I would say, if it was me, um, that I would, you know, check with whatever my content management system provider is or any other application that might, you know, be reliant on PHP, see if they're 7.2 compatible, um, and then find out what their upgrade plan is. Like, what would they recommend as a path to get yourself up to date? Because um, I would think that they probably have some guidance around that to make sure that you're going to have a smooth migration plan. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, it's just a matter of time before uh, a new vulnerability pops up on this older version of PHP and begins to be exploited. So, you know, obviously you want to get that patched or updated as soon as possible. Hey, Tony, I uh, understand you're looking into some salacious spam emails trying to uh, coax people into sending them money or something. Can you tell me more about that story? Yeah, so for uh, the past few months, there's been numerous news articles out there about um, a, a group of uh, spam actors, uh, people that are drafting these campaigns, that are trying to extort Bitcoin from the recipients of these emails. So what has happened is we're seeing a template-based email that when the recipient sees it, it provides them a password that they had at one point. Uh, these are passwords that the user had used in the past, and it looks like they're being harvested from uh, sites that are out there, either the dark web or other sites that are, are trying to you know, harvest usernames and passwords. And the extortion um, occurs. These types of uh, uh, scams have been, you know, have been go going on for many, many years. I think the, what's different about this is that they've, they're actually incorporating some sort of social engineering, more so than in, pa in past, you know, activity like this. There's uh, numerous templates that we're seeing. Uh, some of it is, you know, we've uh, compromised your machine because you went to a nefarious website or an adult website. Well, whatever the case is. Uh, we've infected your machine, we've harvested all of your data, uh, we've, we've hacked your webcam, we've seen you uh, go to this place or that place, and if you do not pay us in X amount of Bitcoin, uh, we're going to let everybody know of all this evil, nefarious behavior you're doing. Um, long story short, it's a complete hoax. Uh, the thing that I found a little surprising about this when I did a little uh, analysis myself that because um, I had received some of these emails, I didn't fall for it, but I was kind of curious, the Bitcoin wallet, has anybody sent that person money? And you can check, it's you know on the public blockchain register and some people have. The one that I received an email for, I looked at and I could see because they, they were asking for $800 and there are at least four people who sent about $800 worth of Bitcoin to them. And this is just in the last two days. It's like, actually not even, it's from yesterday uh, up until today. The account itself now has uh, about $4,800 worth of Bitcoin in it. Wow. So with the two days, I don't know how many of these emails they, sp they spammed out, but they were able to get at least 
you know, about four to six people or so, right. it looks like, um, to take the bait on this. So definitely a little concerning, especially yeah. since I was like, hmm, I wonder if anybody has sent this guy any money that just sent me this spam. Right. And uh, it looks like a few people have, yeah. and that's not, that's not great. That's not good. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's yeah. just one of many of these, I'm sure, that are going on out there, you know? I think typically, and, you know, especially on the internet, when it's someone that you don't know and it's anonymous, they're using high pressure tactics and threats, against, you know, for something against something, that they'll do something. You know, I think a lot of people just kind of stop thinking and they just want this to go away and they'll just do whatever they have to do to get this to go away. Right, right. And it's unfortunate, you know, right. because they can spam this out to a thousand people and if six or eight people pay them, pay up, it costs them almost nothing probably. Oh yeah, it costs and, them literally yeah, nothing. literally nothing. And, you right, know, just some time and that's Millions it. of emails. Right. Uh, they could script all that. Right. And then even if they get like 0.0001% of those people to the pay take off the bait, is still enough. it's $4,800 yeah. or something, yeah. you know, if you have several hundred different, several hundred million email addresses right. that you could potentially try this with. Right. So. Yeah, I, I've got a list of wallets. They're all different from a bunch of the different samples. And, you know, to to the point about the legitimacy of it, you know, you read this email, oh my gosh, that's my password. Oh my gosh, they've got, you know, a hold of my computer. And that social engineering tactic of someone will react quicker with when there's fear in play. So it's that flight or, or fight thing where you're fearful and logic takes a back seat. You're not thinking straight. Well, I got to take care of this. Oh my gosh. And at the end of the day, someone's bluffing you. It's like a really bad game of poker. There's a lot of these spam emails going around right now and don't fall for it. Don't ever assume for a minute that this is real um, because there's just so many that are following this, this template um, and they're all fake. So Manish, do you want to share something about jQuery with us today? That's right, Tony. So there's apparently there's a widely used uh, plugin uh, called jQuery File Upload, and it contains a, a vulnerability from back in 2010 that I guess has just gone unnoticed by you know everybody. The vulnerability affects about 7,800 different uh, software applications mm -hmm. that are available, and uh, and it includes uh, remote code execution as one of the uh, vectors. You know, this is not a, this vulnerability doesn't exist in jQuery itself, but it's a plugin that's, uh, that's an open source plugin. So basically the plugin works with any like server side platform that supports standard form uh, file uploads. There's two, uh, two PHP files in the package, uh, upload.php and uploadhandler.php. Mm -hmm. And um, they're under the server slash PHP uh, directory. And the, that's where the that's where the vulnerability is in those. So basically, the upload.php file calls the main file, which is uploadhandler.php, and the vulnerability actually allows you to you can use a basic like like a curl and uh, a simple PHP shell and so push you can, it, like push a web push shell, push it right web shell right using that file upload. using that file upload thing. And uh, you know, and then once you have, once you push that cell, you have, you know, right. you can do whatever you want on the server, and you have root server. access to the server, right? Um, well, or whatever effective user ID uh, right. the web server is running under. Right, right, right. right at the could time. be Apache or something. Right, right, right. right. 
there are many other projects that have forked off of this project from GitHub, which means that they're kind of importing that code base into their projects. So it may extend beyond just the initial project. There could be you know, several other projects that are also impacted by this. When you look at the GitHub um, page for this particular project, it's like forked 7,000 times right, or something like right, that. Right, right, Which means that there's probably 7,000 other people who forked a branch of code off of this initial project right. and might also have this same vulnerability right. in it. Right. So that does expand the scope as to, you know, where it might right. happen elsewhere. Now, this is one of those situations where there's no auto-update. This is if the person installed it on the system, is still administering the system, knows about it, and updates it. And there's some people that could be taking over these, these web servers that have no idea that that's on there. Right. And I, I assume it would be you know, easy for someone to sit there and poke at these web servers that are sitting on the internet and find this. Is that, is that a correct statement? Um, I don't know if it's trivial to find, because I went out trying to find some myself. Um, you would probably, the quickest way would be to uh, kind of search through Google. Right, so because Google walks the entire web tree structure, and it might wander across this jQuery file upload as being part of that, um, you know, that website. So that's probably the best way to find it. But I, I wasn't really trying very hard. Uh, I think that's how an attacker would probably put together a list of vulnerable targets is to do it that way. But it's definitely something, if you're aware that you're using this jQuery file upload or that you have some other code from another project that imported this, that might be something you want to be aware of because it definitely looks like it will allow um, uh, the ability for an attacker to, uh, without authentication, arbitrarily upload um, files. And those files could be executable PHP, which could be a web shell which gives them you know, very interactive access to the website um, or the server in general. So it's something you'd want to be aware of. I think it's, it's interesting that this has probably been vulnerable since 2000, sometime around 2010, and it's just kind of gone unnoticed, but has it really gone unnoticed, right? Has right. The bad, you know, have the bad guys been exploiting this quietly and do, you know, uh, compromising these servers? We don't, obviously, we don't know, but that's, you know, that's definitely a possibility. So if you have any types of file upload type activity on your website, you may want to make sure it's not part of, affected by this type of uh, vulnerability. Hey, Manisha, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week. Uh, no amazing stories. One mm -hmm. thing I found a little interesting that we'll take a closer look at. Uh, but before we do that, uh, in terms of the most probe ports, I generally don't really track this one, or I don't find this one as interesting, but there's a lot of things we always see all the time here. So you got your Telnet, your Microsoft uh, file server, um, uh, SMB, SMB port here, SSH, you got your IoT stuff, same with Telnet, um, 1433 Microsoft SQL Server, 81 TCP is probably related to uh, that little web, uh, little web server that I can't think of the name of now, um, but there was a, we've talked about it on the show before, uh, we've seen some continued scanning for this. There's a particular web server um, 
that uh, it's like a little embedded web server edition that uh, has a vulnerability here. Um, 5555 is the Android debugger port that we've seen a lot of activity over this past year scanning for that because uh, some people are leaving that open. It's getting compromised or allowing their devices to get compromised. Um, remote desktop protocol we see all the time pretty frequently. This is probably just ancillary traffic related to scanning activities, web, and then FTP. So in terms of the actual most sources probing, which usually is more indicative of um, botnet related activity when you get a bunch of devices all at once scanning for something. Um, I thought we'd take a look more closely at 23TCP because we haven't done that in a while, which is Telnet. The Android debugger port we'll take a closer look at. Um, and then the one I thought was kind of interesting is that um, this one crept up from in the below the fold in the top 20, uh, 5900 TCP, which is VNC. I think it's like virtual network computer, which is um, Basically, it's the same thing as the RDP services in Microsoft Windows, but VNC has been around a lot longer, and it allows you to um, do basically the same kind of thing. It's a remote desktop type solution. So port 23 uh, TCP, uh, this one's a little interesting. Uh, I took a five-year view. This is a very long-term view, because we've been talking about this for a long time. And when you go back to just prior to 2014 here, there's a little tiny little bits here. You can barely see it, but there's a little tiny little uh, amount of scanning activity related to this um, prior to, this says February 17th, 2014, so it's probably like the last part of 2013 uh, is when this is showing little bits of barely anything. And in 2014, we started to see more activity, and we were like, wow, this is a lot of activity back when it first happened, because right. it got up to like 30,000 scan sources per hour, which is pretty significant. And over the years, it kept going up and up, and then somewhere in 2016, it went crazy. It went up to around 450,000 scan sources per hour, which is a lot <clears throat> because it's not just 450,000 infected devices. That's just how many we saw in a single hour. So in reality, it's usually a lot larger than that. It's probably, I'm just going to guesstimate, it's probably like maybe four times that size or more uh, in reality of how many infected devices there were. And then uh, that's the Mirai influence, I, I kind of say, because this is kind of around that time frame when Mirai was really happening um, and coming into play. And then things have tapered down. And you can see over here, now we, we're down around 50,000 scan sources per hour, um, which is not bad. It's not great. It's still number two right. on the list of the most scanned port like, you know, if you look at all scanning activity, this is still number two. Um, but compared to 2016, it's, you know, much far reduced from what it had been. Uh, so the um, 5555 TCP Android debug bridge, we've talked about this before. On your Android devices, usually there's an option in the settings where you could turn on a debugger port, which listens on this port. It's not on by default, but if you do, you can, with your computer, connect to it, and you can kind of, uh, just like you can with a lot of other debug services, debug actively running programs, make sure it's working right. The idea is you want to turn that off when you're done. Right. right? So I guess some people found there's some X number of devices out there. It's not a giant amount. Even though this went up to 50,000 or 60,000 scan sources per hour over here, those are not all Android debug devices. The Satori botnet, which stands for lots of different types of vulnerabilities and 
uh, pulls in lots of different types of devices into its botnet. Um, he started scanning for it back here. This is probably more like the realistic number. Uh, so in the beginning of this year, January, February timeframe, we went from seeing really nothing to maybe four to 5,000 scan sources per hour scanning for this port. And it kind of stayed around there for the most part until Satori got into the act. And I think some of these other ones may have too, trying to use that same technique to um, right. recruit other types of devices into their botnet. Um, and then the last one here is 5900 TCP, um, which is the VNC, which we talked about. Uh, this is a 90-day chart. And we always have kind of this noise floor that I'm showing here, uh, scanning activity, because this is a really popular one, because it allows you, if you're able to, we see a lot of brute forcing activity, similar to like the Telnet stuff um, with this particular protocol. Because if you're able to figure out the password for the VNC, I can basically remote desktop into the thing, uh, that device, and work with the graphical interface. And it works beyond just Windows. It works with a lot of Linux devices. So long story short, we saw sometime around September here, not that long ago, um, we started to see a real uptick in the amount of scanning. That being said, it's only about 2,000 scan sources per hour. So it's not a ton. Um, I did look at the distribution of these scan sources, and this is a little bit of an eye chart, hard wow. to read. But you can see some real pockets of activity in India. Uh, and what I did is I put a little top 20 chart in here. What I thought was really interesting, the number one country where we see most of the scanning activity come from is Uzbekistan, which is somewhere in here maybe. And I thought it was a little interesting that um, Uzbekistan was uh, the primary contributor for this, so uh, which is not a typical country where we see a lot of scan sources coming from, you know, especially as the number one. I took a look um, at some of these devices. I couldn't find anything that stood out to me as like some common type of device based on like looking at Shodan. So I'm not sure what this is all about uh, just yet. As uh, but I suspect there's probably some sort of malware or something behind this that's telling all these devices to scan for this simultaneously. VNC is a very old protocol that's been around for a long time. Um, you know, it's interesting that there's this increase all of a sudden. It's obviously attributed to something. Uh, I guess it's one of those things that we'll just have to keep looking, uh, watching over the next few weeks to see what happens. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.